City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar, Performance Once again, a warm welcome to the American Theatre Week Seminars on Working in the Theatre. These seminars, now in their 27th year, are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. As the American Theatre Week continues to bring these seminars together, we bring artists from throughout the theatre industry, the community, to those that are part of the work that you see on the stage. We provide an understanding into the exciting life and the work of the professional theater. Today's seminar celebrates the performers. We learn how not only about their careers, their training, but also about the drive, the passion, and the knowledge needed to achieve a career in the theater. I'm so looking forward to these seminars, and I hope that you will enjoy it as much as I know that I will to be most informative and entertaining for all of us. I'm Isabel Stevenson. I'm chairman of the board of the American Theatre Wing. And now, uh, let me introduce you to our moderator for this seminar, television personality and theatre critic, Pia Lindstrom, and also member of the American Theatre Wing. Pia? Thank you. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you. And with me here is an exalted panel. The knowledge of the theater we have with us today is uh, awesome, as they say. Let me start with Mr. Carrier, Lynn Carrier, one of the great figures in the theater, a specialist in playing demons, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Leonard is sitting next to him. She is a beloved actress. We know her so well because she's been in our bedrooms. You know, for years and years, three Emmys <laughs> for the Waltons, and she's also, of course, a wonderful stage actress. Andre de Shields is sitting next to me. He uh, struts his stuff in the full Monty, brought the house down in the first act without taking his clothes off. <laughs> first act number, completely dressed, great number. Patrick Cassidy on my left. Uh, from a theatrical family is uh, shooting up the stage in Anna Get Your Gun right now. And, and Mary Louise Parker, one of our bright young actresses in the theater, films, television, is playing an extremely intelligent woman in Proof. And next to her, my idol, Marion Seldes, <laughs> <laughs> the woman of the theater. She epitomizes the theater. Icon. Marion. <laughs> <laughs> Why be an actress, Marion? In my case, I can't answer that because I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know why. I know that I wanted to be from the minute I wanted to be anything. And so I never questioned it. It never, I mean, when I was young, I think when you, when you actually go into the professional theater and you feel fear for the first time, then you could question it. And you think, <laughs> how could I? 
have a career. I don't look right. I don't sound right. You, you, you torture yourself with reasons you can't be. But if you're lucky, as I was, and went to a school where theater, where acting, where writing plays was part of the curriculum from the time you were six years old, it's natural. And so I, and then the first time you see a play, I think almost everyone will say this to you, that either being in a play or seeing it, just you make the decision, you take the vow, so to speak, mm -hmm. and it is a calling. And however difficult it is, it is also, I think, the most rewarding life you could possibly lead. Did you take a vow, Len Cario, to the theater? <laughs> well, yeah, I know exactly what Marion is talking about. Um, it's funny. Um, I grew up in the Midwest of Canada, and uh, my family on my mother's side, the Irish side of the family, were, uh, were all singers and musicians. So I was, uh, I sort of came by the singing part of it, um, honestly, if you will. Um, <laughs> But it never occurred to me um, to be in the theater because I, being brought up in that in a small city, uh, well, pretty not a small city, but uh, there were, there was no professional theater. It was all amateur theater, and I grew up uh, in a suburb of the of the city and uh, didn't have a lot of exposure to that kind of thing. But my mother um, kind of vicariously wanted me to be a singer, so I studied singing when I was a, as a boy soprano, and s when my voice changed, I still had one, so I went on. Uh, and uh, the, uh, I didn't have the kind of exposure that you had, um, so it never occurred to me to be in a play, it occurred to me that I might be in a musical, um, <laughs> and I was in a musical, um, and then when I decided to do it, for, as a profession, uh, I was very lucky because uh, John Hirsch founded the Manitoba Theater Center in, in Winnipeg, and um, uh, he kind of took me by the hand and said, "Come on, I'll teach you how to do this." And uh, the funny part about it was that I was an actor for over a year before I ever saw a play. <laughs> so that's pretty strange. I mean, that's that doesn't uh, that doesn't happen too often. So. Uh, and then, of course, having been an actor for over a year and went to my first play and thought, what are they doing? <laughs> Get off the stage. <laughs> I mean, I'm the worst audience in the world. <laughs> Patrick, you uh, perhaps had no choice. You come from uh, a family where you're my school, Jones my schooling your mother. Was, my schooling was a little different. <laughs> so. um, yeah, you grow up at where everybody you see, I, I watch my, my children. I watch my nieces and nephews now. And I see myself through them in the sense that they watch on television or watch in the theater their father, their <laughs> uncles, their grandparents. So you assume that everybody does this. <laughs> this is how everybody makes a living. There is, is so, so the natural sort of course of events is, oh, well, I can do this too. And, um, and then, of course, you're hit with the incredible awakening. Oh, this is very difficult. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is something that I, I, I wish I had done as Marion did and, and had more schooling at it. But, um, but it, it, for me, you know, here I, singing came very natural. I was, I was in a band growing up, and then when I made the, the move to 
to New York when I was 19. I started studying and, and, and uh, going to acting class all the time. And, <clears throat> um, and like I said, it, it, was, it was in the house all the time. I got to see it all the time. And, and that was my training. And then, and, then, and, then, and then growing up in the theater, just working in the theater. But I remember seeing my first show at, at age five. Were you ever afraid of being compared and found wanting? No. I mean, I knew that that was sort of the, the natural, um, the, the natural sort of, um, that was going to happen. For me, it was more about um, just sort of proving myself. And that's why I chose to stay in New York. You know, I, I'd seen what happened with my brothers in terms of teen idolism and having to go that route. And I thought, well, if I... If I do, and my, I think my father would have been very proud of it, if I do, um, if I stay in New York and I work in the theater and I continue to work regionally and stuff like that, you know, I'll sort of carve my own niche and that's what's happened. I guess in your family, if you became an accountant, it would be a rebellious statement. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, the funny, the funny thing is, I, I, think my, I think my parents would have liked it that way. <laughs> my, my mother did everything she could to... Uh, God knows, have us do something else, you know. And I thought about, you know, d being a lawyer, same thing, though. Um, and, uh, and it just worked out this way, and I'm really happy that it did. Michael, why are you an actress? Oh, God, I don't know. I didn't get therapy early enough. <laughs> I don't mean to be cynical, <laughs> because I love what Marion said. Um, I was 11 years old and living in Austria. My, my father was working for the CIA. Of course, we didn't know. Everybody in the village knew it, but we didn't know it. <laughs> so, um, and they sent me away to English boarding school, which happened to be a ballet school. And um, by accident, I won the Drama Cup. They, they had a little, uh, you know, it was, uh, I was there as a ballet student, and the teacher said, Michael, you know, you're, you're not really a very good dancer. <laughs> you're rather lazy. <laughs> So why don't you become a special drama student, which I did. And like Marion, I never looked back after that. Um, it was wonderful training. I mean, you're, you're doing intercostal diaphragmatic breathing at 11, so you're building you your, your whole... Would you repeat that? I, I'm so proud of that. My husband's a lawyer, and he <laughs> was so was impressed when he heard me say that, so I had, I had to just drop that in there. <laughs> um, intercostal diaphragmatic breathing, you know, using no. those muscles, the rib muscles, to breathe mm. through your back and so on. And, and Shakespeare and mime and um, voice production and scenes and dance as well. We had a dance class every morning, a different tap, ballet, modern, and then we also had a drama class every morning. And um, so to start at that age, at 11, at, at training your voice and your body is, is, is why so many English actors are so good and take all the work away from us. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, moving on. And... Um, then I was, uh, I got married very young, so that came first, because in the 50s you weren't allowed to have, your career mustn't come first, so, and it actually did come first, because I had kids and I, and I was quite happy. And, and I just sort of worked whenever I could, and then um, we moved to uh, San Francisco and the American Conservatory Theater, and that was um, just a thrilling, thrilling time. My kids were older by then, and uh, we just... I think one season we did 17 plays in two theaters, and we were, we were training, teaching, acting, rehearsing, <coughs> dancing, we were doing it all, and it was just divine, <laughs> it was heaven. It was the most exciting time of my, my career life, I think. Andre, why are you a dancer, oh. actor, singer, <laughs> performer, <laughs> whiz? Well, Pia, in, in my case, you're, you're talking to a man who, from his very first conscious thoughts, 
surrendered to his destiny. <laughs> I remember growing up, my mother talking about her dream to be a dancer. And she deferred that dream. My father talking about his dream to be a singer. And he deferred his dream. They did because they had 11 children to raise. I knew in my mother's womb that I was going to manifest their deferred dreams. This sounds very, very curious and metaphysical, but when you, have, when you have ten siblings, five sisters and five brothers, you really have to decide at a very early age, what are you going to do with your life? And I knew that I was lucky number nine, and I didn't train. But after 31 years in this industry, I know about intercostal diaphragmatic <laughs> breathing because otherwise you don't last that long. You know, if you're breathing very shallow and from the top of the lungs, then you'd better become an accountant. <laughs> but once you learn to breathe from the bottom of the lung, and once you learn to use the bellows down here called the diaphragm, you understand that you're meant for only one destiny, and that is to declare yourself. I got the passion in my feet from my mother. I got the passion in my voice from my father. And like everyone here on the panel, once the decision was made, there was no looking back. Now, of course, it takes a lot of tenacity, a lot of long suffering, a lot of agreement with people when they say, you're crazy, you're out of your mind. And you have to understand, yes, I am. But I'm in an industry, I'm in a community of people where being out of your mind is okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the norm. Don't you always feel safer with people who know they're Absolutely. out of their minds? Those of, us, those of us who agree that we're a little left or right of center understand that we're safe. And you, Mary Louise, are you a little That's crazy? A little <laughs> well, it's funny because when I, went to, um, when I first went to drama school, it was the first time people told me I was weird and they meant it as a compliment. <laughs> so finally, it was, it was all right. Um, but I don't really know um, how I arrived at this. And I, I know specifically because I wanted to be a stage actor. And, and I, I still don't really consider myself uh, a movie actor or a film actor um, and I really don't know why because I never really saw plays either and I was sort of discouraged um, from watching uh, a lot of television so or movies so I, I don't really know I, I knew that I wanted it before I even knew what you called it uh, or, mm. or even what the word for it was it just <clears throat> and I think it was it was also odd because I was so um, so quiet and um, so awkward and I, I didn't speak very much. And then I went to uh, drama school, and I was the first person that got up to do every exercise. And I was the first person that wanted to do that, you know. And I, would, I was the one who would jump off, you know, the building or, you know, take my clothes off. Or I was the first person to do, you know. And before that, I was always so afraid of everything. And I, I don't really know why that is. I think just some people, it's just inherent. It's just there. And it's, there's, there's not even a question. There was never a moment where I even, even thought to question anything. It, it never occurred to me th that I w would do anything else, that I, that I wouldn't do this. I knew that it was going to be really hard, um, and, and it is and was uh, at times, but I, I just knew that that's what I would do. Can you teach acting 
Mary, and you actually are, are a Juilliard on the faculty there. It, well, I did. I taught there for more than 20 years. I don't think you can teach acting, but you can make a circumstance in which talented people can learn to use their own talents to their fullest, and that's it. I think you can help teach terribly important things, like how to read a play. It sounds so easy, it's difficult. You must and learn how to really work with the text, not just accept it and jump into it and so on. And, and to, be, to use the intellectual part of your life, to bring that to the theater too, to be able to make choices. Uh, and it, Michael started when she was so young to be a dancer, and so did I. And the discipline of a dance class is something you miss sometimes in the theater. You love that discipline. I mean, if you see Andre's performance in The Full Monty, it seems to come uh, be entirely improvised, and yet there's not one second that isn't specific and, and focused. And you learn that from dance, I think. And you can, so that in a, a school where I was lucky enough to teach at Juilliard in the drama division, you can, you learn almost everything but acting. You learn how to use your voice, use your body, use your mind, but your talent is your own. It's secret, really, and the only time you go off-center is when an untalented person, be he a teacher, or a director, or a fellow actor, or a critic, tampers with it in a dangerous way. I mean, if we were a, a board of, um, of surgeons, I could say these things and, and they wouldn't sound odd, because if you make the wrong cut, you can kill someone. Well, you can hurt someone's talent, or you can make it possible for it to grow. And the most beautiful thing for me from all those years of teaching is to watch the people that I was, when I say I taught, I was on a faculty. I was one of many, many teachers. But to go to the theater and open the playbill, and there's the name of someone that's come into your class and you've seen grow and you've loved, it's, um, it's just an extra joy of the theater for me. Look at that. You, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you, are, you have a master's degree from NYU. You're I, I too did, educated. I did, but but uh, Marion has said something that really reverber reverberates in my life. She says, she talks about tampering with talent. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why I avoided, as a young performer, training is because I was carrying this secret with me, the secret of my family, and it was a treasure and it was precious. And every time I came into a situation with a teacher, with an instructor, with a mentor, I thought he or she was going to tamper with my talent. I thought he or she was going to steal something away <laughs> from me, was going to spoil something that had been mm. given to me from the universe through my mother and mm -hmm. father. So I deliberately did not train. Of course, here in the year 2000, I sometimes regret that I didn't because everybody trains now. Yes, and you are teaching too, aren't I you? And why you are teaching. teaching now. So are you ruining these people's talents? I'm not ruining their talent <laughs> at all. I'm not ruining their talent at all. But I never but I never give them that madness about mm. let's empty the glass so we can fill it. Uh -huh. You know, I always ask them, what do you got? You know, we're all flowers in God's bouquet, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I'll say, Ah, oh, you've got this, 
-hmm. You've got that. We put it all <laughs> together and make this lovely experience. After that, I let it alone. Yes, it's mm -hmm. the use of talent. Right. It's how it is used, your own, how you respond to the talents of other people. It's, a, it's the family of talent, so to Absolutely. speak. It's the you're mixture. Both, you're both very loving people, but there are a lot of students who have to, had to deal with very um, angry teachers, <laughs> and that can, that can have a very negative uh, effect. Or a director. Uh, when I was very young at Stratford, Ontario, I worked with a director who had me so terrified that I used to throw up before every rehearsal and couldn't speak. Um, so I can understand your, your fear because it can absolutely destroy you. However, the reverse side of that is I think when I was young and at ACT, the good fortune of working with directors who also taught as, I mean, wonderful directors who like Bill, teacher, like Bill or Ellis Rabb, Rab, um, just were, mag I mean, and they had their problems like everybody else, but they were magnificent teachers as I well as directors. I want to know who's the guy that made you want to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say <laughs> the name. <laughs> well, I'd like, I'd He's made his He said he was sorry, <laughs> and uh, I'm still here, so to hell with him. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but when you're young, it can be devastating. Sometimes be teachers devastating. don't know how damaging what they say can be um, I always if I'm going to have a class that's going to be ongoing I always say in the beginning that I will feel free to express myself with what I feel I know but that you they as the students must question and must not use anything because there's no one way but when you're in the rehearsal, it seems there is only one way. You're in this set of circumstances, and you're young, and you want to do well, which really has very little to do with acting, but you don't know that yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you want to please, and you want to not to take the time away from the important exactly. actors. Yeah. And of course, all that's ludicrous, <gasps> but it's life. And dealing with people who frighten you and hurt you is life and overcoming it, mm -hmm. and being able to smile in retrospect. Yes. And some teachers <laughs> are, by their own nature, so demanding and uh, that they're terrifying. But there's, a, there's also a kind of teacher that can be that way. I had a teacher named Grace Matchett in, in England who never said a nice word to any of us. But you always felt that she adored your talent and that she was just angry with you because you could do better. Well, that's and, wonderful. And, it, and she was so, such a positive, even though she, yeah. she it, it, because I, I guess it came from her spirit. Mm -hmm. And so you, she just made you want to do better and do mm -hmm. more and work harder. And then there are other, other teachers who can just deflate you to the point where you want to go home and, and then just Then was that a teacher a in your life? No, there wasn't. I didn't have any formal training. When I, uh, when I started in the theater, um, I, uh, the National Theater School in Canada was founded um, about the same time that I started in the theater. And, it, and just prior to my becoming a professional, they had come around, they'd gone around the country auditioning um, potential students. Um, and I was... Uh, as it turned out, I was selected as the first student um, to go to the school. But it was in Montreal. I was living in Winnipeg uh, with a wife and a child. And uh, I was uh, 20 years old. And they said that they would give me a scholarship, but um, 
I had I, I wasn't feeding one mouth I was feeding three so it was an impossibility for me to do so I didn't have any of that formal training so all my training was on the boards uh, which is uh, I think very much what Andre did Absolutely. and probably mm -hmm. you, you did too. Yeah. you didn't right. have and a teacher or a mentor right. um, that you just learn by error mm -hmm. and um, it, it was that kind of a mm -hmm. of a um, a learning process uh, my teacher my mentor uh, was John Hirsch uh -huh. um, who uh, was one of the great directors uh, that I've ever worked with I've worked with an awful lot of good ones uh, and he was somebody who had a great influence on my life um, and he was a true mentor he he made sure that uh, when I uh, when I got uh, when I decided not to go to the school, I went to him and I said, look, I can't do this. And he said, I understand. He said, well, I'll give you work. Um, and he literally took me by the hand and said, no, you, no, this is how you listen. This is how you talk. You don't. And he really gave me a tutorial on, on <laughs> what it was to be in a, And he said, don't worry about it. He said, you have innate great talent. He said, just listen to me. He said, I'm just telling you what not to do more than anything. And uh, so that was my teacher. The great, the great so there's thing a director, again, the, a teacher, director, yeah, teaching. A teacher, director. The great thing about the theater is that you have the opportunity, eight shows a week, <laughs> to, um, to if, if you make a mistake, you can correct it the next day. You can learn. I mean, the audience tells you a lot. You, you learn by, by what to do and what not to do based on their reactions. And I, I had a director <clears throat> in New York who during the course of rehearsal chose to ignore me mm. um, and what I was doing. And, and when I would go to him, he, um, he wouldn't really give me any way, so I ultimately made my own choices. And during the preview process of this particular show, I was incredibly inhibited and, and felt very self-conscious on the stage because I, the minute I would go to him, he would say, no, don't do that. And then, and then the minute I would make a choice, he would say, no, don't do that. <laughs> so I was basically left there <laughs> looking and, and feeling very self-conscious. And ultimately, though, it, you know, the director leaves. And ultimately, you're left <laughs> up to your own devices. <laughs> and you have to save yourself. I mean, that's, that's what you end up doing. And, and you learn um, basically uh, based on audience reaction, based on other actors working with. Um, and and, it's, and that's, that's the greatest thing about the theater. It really builds your your chops up as, as, as a performer. You don't get that same luxury in film. Because, mm. you know, the editor has all the control and so does the director. Mm. Well, do you lead the audience or do you allow the audience to lead you? Oh, absolutely. You lead the audience. You absolutely. lead the audience. Bill. That was my, that was my train. Okay. So, so here we have I a difference of opinion. Well, I don't know if there's a difference of opinion, but I think it's a journey mm -hmm. that the audience and the actor takes together. Well, now, the, the initial lead mm. comes from the performer but we cannot ignore what the audience Absolutely. is doing I'm not no, I know you're not the, no. the initial but lead is, is a step further back which is the play or the, the play the Absolutely. I agree with that Absolutely. I mean, everything comes from the story and, and you owe that script or that song or that dance uh, to, to tell that story. Exactly. I completely if you, agree with that. You can yeah. sometimes, if it's a, an audience that is just enraptured, it could lead you away from yeah. that. Right. Or they well, laugh. You, you can to get the easy story. laugh because they true. laugh at a certain point, and so right. the next night you know they're going to laugh, so you do it a little bigger. 
Well, you or shouldn't. You, or you resist that. Now, I've had a marvelous experience, and I'd like to throw these two names into that, into that um, uh, pile of people who have been inspiration mm -hmm. to us. Who, uh, Jack O'Brien, yeah, who yeah. directed The Full Monty, and Terrence McNally, yeah, yeah. who wrote the book of Thank The Full Monty, exactly. who continue to say to us through the experience, what we're going to be doing is clearing the laughter away from this musical comedy. We don't want the audience laughing too much because we want them to hear the authenticity of the story of these ordinary people. So I agree with you. The commitment is to telling the story. Yes. After which we are the leaders, I think. And, and then, then we laugh at your character. Exactly. But We're only not at the character, not at the mugging. No, right. Not at the jokes. No, no. You know, Absolutely. We, we, we know your situation and we're following your story and in the case of what you're doing now, all your stories. That's the amazing thing in the direction of it, that they are all happening, it seems to me, at the same moment at almost. At the same moment, yes. And, and uh, I think that acting and uh, performing and um, being in the theatre has become a finer art in a way because of things like this, because people discuss and are interested in what it is that makes a theatrical experience. And it, is, it isn't who is the star, and it isn't how much does the ticket cost. It's what you're talking about with Jack and Terence, a director and a writer who are absolutely have the same wish, the same desire. And I have a feeling it's the same in proof, is it not? The same sense of... When, it, when something succeeds, it's very rare that it comes out of a disagreement. It comes out of everyone wanting the same mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But back to your, your question, if, if you don't do a play as a team, if, if you get careless and think, oh, well, this is really good. I'll do more of this. <laughs> It'll be less good and less good and less good. And the, the whole, um, the, the, what did I say, the, the beauty of discipline is destroyed. It's destroyed. And you'll, start, you, and you'll start playing desperately for the response <coughs> yeah. that you got last week mm -hmm. and the story that you're supposed to be telling would have gone to hell. Well, people talk about well, good audiences and bad audiences as though it's the <coughs> audience's fault, you know. We were a bad audience. We didn't laugh. Well, or audiences have personalities <laughs> just living as performers do, which is why breathing. I think, why I think it's a reciprocal mm -hmm. kind of relationship here. I think what we're talking about here, too, is the focus uh, of the play, that the play's the thing, and that a responsible actor will put the focus in the play where it belongs. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, not everybody does that on stage. And there's nothing more annoying to me right. than that. You know what I, you know what I think that is? That. I think the single most difficult thing, I'm just going to throw this up to, this, to our group, that an actor has to do is to listen in character. Mm -hmm. oh. mm -hmm. That is the true discipline, I think, for the actor, that you must listen in character. I had two, three long runs in Broadway musicals. And the first one, uh, when I was in applause uh, <laughs> years ago, uh, and uh, it was the first time I was in a Broadway play, uh, on Broadway. And we were about nine months into the run. <coughs> And um, 
something happened. It, it, I, I started going out there, and, and it didn't seem right. And I called um, our director, and I said, would you come in and look at a performance? When was the last time you saw it? And he said, uh, maybe a month ago. I said, would you come and look? I said, there's something wrong. He came back after, and I said, what's wrong? It's, it still felt that way for me. And he said, well, he says, I'm telling you. He said, I'm very pleased nine months into the run. He said, everybody's on the money. Uh, it's in really good shape. It's not falling apart at, you know, at the seams. Uh, he said, the only thing I can think of is that you're not listening as Bill Sampson. You're listening as Len Carey. Mm -hmm. And I went, what? <laughs> and he said, well, that's the only thing I can think of. And nobody had ever said that to me before. And I went home and went back the next night. And I'll be damned if he wasn't right. I started to think, and it went away. Yeah. That's that feeling when, when I get into yeah. the run of a little night music, almost exactly the same amount of time had gone by. And this malady hit me again. And I went, I know what this is. And sure enough, I was able to correct it. Uh, now, that was just for me, you know, I mean, that was, I was the one that was suffering that, I guess. But but it's true of everybody because the actor doesn't know the experience, right? What that the audience is having. What I'm saying, if, if you have to listen as the character, oh, and you make the mistake and not do that, then it's the actor imposing himself on the yes. experience, mm -hmm. right. and it's the character who has to know the experience, not the actor. I think that's the same thing as staying in the moment. Right. right. Once you leave the moment then you're either ahead of everybody else or behind everybody else or beside everybody else. Or judging else, the or audience judging or judging yourself yes. or that's judging you get to the, the other point by saying well, it's a bad audience, it's a good audience. <laughs> well, that's because you're not in your moment and you're not listening yeah. as your character. You've talked about learning while working, but how do you know how to do what you said you did to bring your character back if you've not had training of how you maneuver into that? You can't always do it through working. You well, have to have something that you bring to it that you've learned and said, ah, now I know I have to do this. If I might respond to that, yes. when, I, when I said that I eschewed training, I wasn't putting down training. But as Len said, I learned by doing it on the board. And you learn through experiencing one epiphany after the next. Now, the reason I knew that I was on the right mission in my life was because of an epiphany I had when I was nine years old and I saw John Bubbles perform in Cabin in the Sky. Mm -hmm. And he did this dance routine where it looked as if he was ascending into the clouds. And I thought, that's what I want to do with my life. <laughs> well, if I hadn't gone on and experienced an epiphany with another individual and an epiphany with Jack O'Brien recently, then I would not have the chops that it mm -hmm. takes to continue to do the very difficult, the very hard, the very disciplined, and the very rewarding work that we call acting. So it's a daily procedure of learning, unlearning, relearning, <laughs> taking risks, trusting, yeah. And there are directors who can make you feel very safe, like Jack does. Absolutely. You know, that, and directors who make you feel very unsafe, and you have to be able to, to, to do your work anyway. Mm -hmm. I, think Isabel, I think to try and answer Isabel's questions, I don't think that, that there's any way without you having had some theatrical experience, some kind of training, that you're going to know that. There's
There's just simply no way. There's the, there is no monitor, I don't think, except maybe your instinctive monitor that, that's built in. I think that it's an interesting thing. When you start working on something, uh, start in the early rehearsals of plays, uh, I found that virtually everything that I first thought of uh, in the first two or three days of rehearsal, my instinct, I would go and we would then explore uh, and three weeks later I'd come back to exactly what I did in the first two or three days. But in the first two or three days it was narrow. Three weeks later it's out here and it's a full-blown character that you have and you so your instinct was, all it, all it really, I guess I'm really saying is that your instinct was correct. Um, but it's funny that people, some directors will take you and say, no, no, uh, I don't think it works that way. Come, come down this road. Um, for the most part, I think they're trying to be encouraging. I mean, hopefully they have some clue what they're doing. <laughs> um, there are a lot of them that don't. Um, but it's, fun, it's interesting and uh, continues to be the same way that you instinctively do something the first two or three days that you're working on a, on a role, uh, and you go down whatever road you may go down for the three weeks or four weeks of rehearsal, and you, in reflection, say, well, this is exactly what I did in the first two or three days. Let's um, talk, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I want to talk about fear. I've heard several people here talk about fear, throwing up. That's what I'm feeling right yes. now. Right. <laughs> Mary Louise, let's start with you. How do you handle stage fright, fear, nerves? I don't have it. You don't have it? I don't. I, I've had discomfort <laughs> oh. twice on stage. And one, and one time it, w it was fear, just, and it was a particular part. When I was doing um, How I Learned to Drive, I had a really hard time with that play. Mm -hmm. And um, the part was really difficult for me, and I had to address the audience. And that really, really wrecked me every night. It was really hard for me. But other than that, I have a sense of anticipation before I go on. And before the first preview, generally, or maybe the first preview, you know, you have a little, but I don't otherwise. So what did you do? I have life fright. This is frightening. This is frightening. <laughs> <laughs> Being yourself, maybe that's it. Yeah. Is it more frightening to be yourself oh, yeah. than it is to be a character? Yeah. Well, what technique do you do if you're all choking up? I mean, oh, what, when what that do you happens, do? you mean? Yes, well, give us the <laughs> the hints. What do we do when I that mean, happens to us? I mean, I'm trying to think of when during that experience. I mean, I just I used every ounce of technique that I had basically um, to make that not apparent to the audience, so that I could tell the story as best I could, because what? the narrator who was addressing the audience had no fear and was all comfort, you know, all her discomfort was buried, you know. Um, so I had to bury mine as well, you know, as, as best I could, vocally or physically. Um, I, I just had to really use technique. Well, what is the technique, Patrick? If you're scared, how do you sing? That, that I, f I find it, it, it's much harder in a musical. I find singing the most difficult thing to do when you're scared. You, I can dance. I actually sometimes can dance better when I'm scared. <laughs> um, and acting, uh, I find, it, depending on the part, depending on the part, uh, fear also helps that sometimes. But for some reason, singing, because it's so 
technical on mm -hmm. some level, it, it, it re and it requires you to breathe very low. Fear can, can get the better of you. The scariest moment I ever had was I was singing, singing at Carnegie Hall with Victor Garber. We were doing a, a, a tribute to Stephen Sondheim, and we were doing a, a, the Ballad of Booth from Assassins. And I remember they had put me on a stool with my face upstage, and I was going to turn around into the camera and start. And I knew it was the first time singing at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> I'd flown in at a moment's notice. <laughs> and I knew everybody in, in New York and everywhere was there. It was frightening. And I remember sitting on the stool, and the, oh, the, uh, the, the beginning of the song started, and prior to my turning, and I, my heart was going oh. like this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was literally leaving my chest. Oh. And, I, and I said, how am I going to do this? And I remember, I remember literally saying to myself, Breathe. Yeah. Take a deep Take breath. Take a deep breath. Ground your feet, and look. And and the minute I turned around, and you can hear it in my voice. You can hear the change. I started the song, and the minute I sort of plugged into what I was singing about and who I was talking about, the fear subsided. In other words, the minute I could I could get into the character that I was playing. All that whole thing of being judged, mm -hmm. uh, all that whole thing of who's out there kind of dissipated and went away, and then it, it was fine. It was, it was terrific. And I, but that, that you see, it, for me, I, knowing myself, I see the transformation in the first line of music when I started to sing the song and my voice was this, mm -hmm. and then it all of a sudden took some shape yeah. and took some form. And but how many times breathing. do we say in our, in our ordinary daily life, take a deep breath? Mm, yeah. That's no secret. Use those intercostal, <laughs> whatever <laughs> Sometimes, Sometimes when I perform, I, I'm not singing and I'm not dancing. And I had a delicious opportunity out of New York to play Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman. I was frightened out of my wits because what is a dancer doing? essaying the role of Willie Loman. So opening night came, and I was supposed to speak. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was going to say. I was afraid. The beads of sweat, but how perfect for Willie Loman to return home. <laughs> beads of sweat. And I took a deep breath, and it finally coalesced and came to me. And at the end of the show, my director came up to me and said, that was magnificent, that breath that you took oh. <laughs> before entering the house. Oh. Oh. So but it worked. Right. Well, you have to, you really suffered. I've heard of many actresses who, you know, throw up before they go on. What I'd like to know is how do you do that? How can you get sick and then run out and go out under the well, stage. That was I was very young and it was a rehearsal, mm. so it didn't but matter. But I've heard that of other much, actresses. But some people yeah. I, I remember seeing Jane Wyman. Not Jane Wyman. Um, oh darn! Seven brides for seven brothers. Jane Powell. Thank you Jane very much. Powell. She's a lovely woman. Um, the senior moment here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we were at the at the Tonys actually at the Tonys, and um, I had never met her, and I was sort of overwhelmed with all these wonderful stars and everything, and and this is like my first Tony thing, and she was shaking. She was sweating, her hands were like ice, and she said, please, just hold my hand, just hold my hand. I thought, this poor woman is going to heaven. She's just going to walk out there and just collapse in front of everybody. Well, she finally left to go backstage and make her entrance, and when her entrance came up, this 
totally transformed human being. Ta-da! <laughs> I mean, it was, it was so touchy. It was extraordinary. I mean, the, the guts of, of, and you would never in a million years have guessed that she had been through literal hell only a few minutes before. <laughs> what does and meditation quality, help? What I'm helps? Yeah, what are helps. The I get more nervous for auditions than I do for anything because it's like a test. And yeah, I think, open yeah. you know, a, a lot totally of people think process. it's purely ego from actors and I don't think it is. I, I think my fear um, on opening night is that I'm going to let, I'm going to screw up in some way and let everybody, let the play down mm -hmm. or let my fellow actors down. Don't you think it, it's not just me, it's about it. It. Yeah, it's about, yeah. it's about the mission, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But well, in meditation at places doesn't help. That doesn't help. No. <laughs> well, I can't <laughs> think of well, but I'm scared. But I tell you, there's something about, there's something about the light, there's something about the costume, mm. there's something about the community of people that's soothing. Mm. And whatever ails you, this is a calming effect. Mm. Also, I think if you're mm. really prepared, um, I think some of the f if you're not quite sure of your lines or you're not quite you haven't quite gotten the grasp of your character I think that contributes to stage fright too, I agree oh, absolutely the only time I've ever been and I mean this because I was when Mary Louise was telling her story I've never really had any stage fright either I have that anticipation of getting <laughs> on there but that's not fright I'm not afraid to go out there at all never except once in my life when I when I decided that I would be a hero and I would, um, uh, I was going to take over um, Oberon mm -hmm. um, in uh, the dream at the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis because um, an actor was going to quit in the middle of the season and leave. And um, I said, never mind, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I had about three weeks to learn this role and I of course when you're working on a role especially in a in a repertory situation you have especially in a repertory situation you have three months uh, to to really um, learn something it's it happens over a long period of time because you're going to do them in rep and you're usually rehearsing them at the same time in my case, because I decided to do this heroic thing, I had to really just learn the words, and I was trying to memorize. So I guess what I'm saying is you don't memorize. You learn stuff by osmosis. Mm -hmm. It happens, and it becomes very, very solid, and it allows you to have that moment of, of spontaneity every time you go out there. Well, there was not one performance of A Midsummer Night's Dream that I didn't go I, I had no idea what I was going to say. <laughs> I came out and I looked at somebody and I just looked at them <laughs> until they said, "Try whispering, try whispering an iambic pentameter. What your line is on a thrust stage? It's absolutely terrifying, and it was the most. It was actor's hell. It was actor's hell, and I, you know, it was self-inflicted. So." Uh, I guess I've been dying out on it for a while, <laughs> and uh, now we're, now we're going to record it for posterity. Is, but yeah. that's an old story <coughs> about Ethel Merman, who was asked whether she was nervous on opening night, and she said, "Why should I be nervous? I know what I'm going to do. 
the audience should be nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. What happens when somebody else forgets his or her lines? Have you ever had that happen? That you're oh, acting with somebody and nothing, oh, yeah. nothing's last, going last on? Night. Last night. <laughs> <laughs> what happened last night? Me too. What happened? Oh, tell yeah. us. What happened? I feel like I'm implicating everyone forgets <laughs> the line at the time, so I don't want to say. Say this for a in while. A musical, yeah. you can, in a musical, you say the person's line. Yeah, I, I said his line. You said the person's line. I said, I, not intentionally. I, it just sort of came out yeah. of my mouth. But I said one of his lines. But his next line was, um, "Call me Hal." And I thought, "Oh my God, what if I had said, call me Hal?" And then I was like, "Cause I said his line." And I thought, "Oh, thank God, I stopped." Um, I, I don't know why. So I just said you it. Said his line. Is that what happened to you? You said the other person's line. Um, no. What happened was somebody had missed a cue off stage. Mm -hmm. Somebody missed <laughs> a cue off stage, and uh, and I was left sort of hanging oh. there. And then what I did was I then went on with, yeah, with somebody else. I went on with my line, but about five lines ahead of where we're supposed to be, which then, you know, made the entrance for the next actor coming on stage that much more uh, quicker. So he, and it became just sort of this, and we sort of improvised for about three or four lines, and then all of a sudden we were back on the, the track. The funniest, though, in terms of that that ever happened with, with me was I was doing company with Carol Burnett, and there's a scene at the end <coughs> That's all based around a pack of cigarettes about about um, Joanne getting Bobby to, to to smoke. She wants him to smoke. Well, the pack of cigarettes was not there. <laughs> and we came out in the scene, and it was it was Carol to my right, and I was in the center, and and uh, and, and her husband, Joanne's husband, was there, and he had noticed the actor had noticed that the uh, the cigarettes were not there, so he had to literally exit to leave. And the whole conversation is about. Cigarettes and smoking, and I'm going to get you to smoke the cigarette. What do you do? So he he got up and he left, and, and he literally said, "I'm going to go get a pack of smokes." <laughs> and you were left standing there. Totally. And it was until he you know he located the cigarettes. Well, it seemed like an eternity. Oh, and Carol is brilliant. And his, uh, it was just amazing. She had on one of those fabulous Bob Mackie dresses with the back cut out like this. Yes. Well, she said, she said, so she turns and she says, so Bobby, how was your day? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, it was, it was terrific. It was really terrific. She says, I've been shopping all day. In fact, I got this fabulous dress. And she turned to the audience and she, she says, but I've put it on backwards. <laughs> I mean, it was brilliant, and, and the audience, and, and by then he got on the circuit, and then we got back into the sort of the plot. Oh my God! It is a nightmare when that happens. Oh, I did Plaza Suite once, and there's this, the, there's this one of the little segments is um, a producer is in, and his old girlfriend who comes in to the hotel suite, and they have this, and it, we'd only rehearsed for two weeks. Mm. And he didn't know his lines, and I didn't know mine. And the two of us, one night, went around, <laughs> up and down, <laughs> in and out. And I kept trying to end it, because I thought, the audience doesn't know what the hell we're talking about. And they won't care. They just want it to be over, and so do I. And so I would sort of end it, and then he would go back to the oh, beginning no. and start over. <laughs> Finally, she, there is a point in it where she leaves, and, uh, but she doesn't leave. And I said... I am leaving, and I am not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I didn't have the heart to go all the, you know, he opened the door and he went, oh, thank you. <laughs> I had a laugh, and there we were doing it again. It was awful. It was just awful. <laughs>
<laughs> Marion, what's your answer to this kind of thing? I think it's uh, so completely unpredictable. You do, you you give yourself to the moment. If it, it, sometimes it's it's uh, you can just put your hand up and just say a word, and sometimes you can take the line and change it to your line. Sometimes you can jump a line, go forward. It's, it, it's, of course, in the beginning, when you haven't rehearsed enough, it's oh. agony. Oh. When you really know a play, in a terrible way, it's exciting. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, my, what a riot. This happened already in doing the dinner party. There's a, I have a tiny scene. It's, it's set up as a farce, and people are going in and out of the center door all the time. And... Um, I'm standing backstage, and for some reason I got in, in talking to the stage doorman. And, um, and we, oh, I know, it was right after we opened, and I was talking. I said, listen, I have so many bouquets of flowers up there. I said, do you know any, can you use any of these? I mean, can you give them to your wife, or can you take them home and give them to, you know, so they don't just die? And in the middle of it, somebody comes up to me and said, um, you missed the scene. <gasps> <laughs> and I went, no. I, and I went, no. my God, I missed the, the horrible part about it was that the scene was totally inconsequential. I mean, I actually, I actually have a scene in which oh it God. doesn't matter <laughs> what I said or, or what anybody said. There was no information whatsoever in the scene. I mean, my, we all went, I went, oh my God, what do I have to do when I go in my next... Oh, there was no information in that. It's just a joke. Um, and, and thank God, because I'm, it's, it takes literally 20 seconds, and then somebody else comes in. So he was standing, John Ritter had come off the stage, and uh, was waiting for me to go on, and he went, where is he? Boom. And my thing, had, my cue had gone by. I was over talking to the stage doorman. So he walked on, and went, he was back, because that's what he did anyway. He came in, comes bang on the, when I exit, he comes makes an entrance. It's quite, quite astounding. Everybody came off the stage. I mean, everybody was giving him a high five for the save of the year. But I said, I said the really frightening about it is it didn't matter what, what, I, what, what any of us said in that scene. It didn't matter. What I find as I get older, what scares me is if another actor goes up, I'm not sure I could help out. That's right. <laughs> Can you remember you know, everybody? Because I can barely remember my own lines, and I'm thinking, "Oh my God! I hope she knows what she's." And I, I had the good fortune to to work with Marion in in Three Tall Women, and that whole first act that it's an aria that mm -hmm. that was so extraordinary. Talk about listening! I got to listen to this fabulous woman every night, mm -hmm. and it was n it was never, ever there was never one moment where I wandered. It was the easiest mm -hmm. listening I've ever had to do in my life was listening to Marion, mm -hmm. and. She somehow managed to, to, I mean, if you had ever gone up, <laughs> I would have just stayed listening. <laughs> I could no have helped help you all. out at all. <laughs> and thank God you never did. Or if you, if you did, you got yourself out of it brilliantly. So I guess the main thing is to stay in character. Yeah. If everybody's forgetting their lines, at least yeah. never well, to lose your. Just, like, say I'm lost. Right, you right. Can't I do just that. remember something. Like, it's worth sharing. <laughs> we were doing at Stratford, Ontario. We we're doing a production of Mahagoni, um, and I was playing uh, Moneybags Bill, and uh, I had a, a a phrase that I sang, and then the, or the orchestra went. 
and so on. And then I would come in and go da 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 Right, and that would be it. And I turned, go back upstage, and the music was the same. Only the lyrics changed. Well, one of the actors who was on as an understudy, God help us, he went instead of going on, he went back to the section before I did my little thing, right? Because the music was the same, only the lyrics. He did the lyrics from the first. He didn't, I guess, didn't know the lyrics to the next part. So he did that once, and the conductor is looking at me, going, you know, he's conducting the orchestra, and going, come on, come on. So I go back, and I stand up, and I do my little, <laughs> and I turn around, I walk away, goes back, and the guy does it again. He did it. I did it three times, and on the fourth time, I just said, no. I just said, no. <laughs> the conductors went, the conductor went, and I said, <laughs> and he stopped the orchestra. He stopped the orchestra, and he said to the actor, and he went, oh, and then went, then started again, and the guy finally went on. And I was beside myself. And this poor actor didn't have the wherewithal to come up and say, geez, I'm really sorry. Um, so I was, I went out after the performance and I, I happened to go into a, a restaurant and the people were sitting down having, they had just seen the show and they went, oh, it was so wonderful. And I said, so wonderful. I said, what about that ridiculous thing with the orchestra? And they said, you mean that wasn't part of the play? <laughs> they never know. On that note, we will take a short break and meet here again in a few minutes. Thank you. <laughs>
and our grants and scholarship program provides essential support where it is so needed. We take pride in the work we do. We remain so grateful to our members and everyone who makes the work of the American Theatre Wing possible. Our work strengthens the ties between theatre and the community, and we are proud to be a part of this very great and important effort. Thank you so much for being here. And now we go back to our seminar of the performers. Pia, would you go on with this now? Thank you very much, Isabel. I'd like to talk about auditions. Are you all so well known now that you don't have to go on auditions anymore? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you know, it, to get the gig in the full Monty, I did a traditional audition process. I went in and I sang for the director, playwright, composer, and choreographer. And then I had to read from the play. And then I had to go through a dance audition. And then I had to wait for a month to find oh. out that I was the one that they had chosen. Did you have to take your clothes off? <laughs> uh, we were, <laughs> we were cautioned by the choreographer that we should wear some athletic clothes that we would strip down to. But, um, that wasn't required. Did you have to audition for proof? No, if, if I didn't get offered work, I would never work because I never get things that I audition for. <laughs> Neither do I. Not anymore. In, in years, I never, uh, um, I don't audition so much anymore, not because People are throwing work at me, but I'm just not very good at it anymore, I don't think. Um, Do you have a speech? When that were you ever good at it? <laughs> I think I was better at it when I was younger, really? Because I, I did it all the time, mm -hmm. oh. you know? Um, and now it just, I don't know, it just seems so huge. You have to put on a dress and go to Midtown. <laughs> you, know, you have to, like, be nice to the producer. Be nice, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. oh, I can't oh, be I nice anymore. I go in with such an attitude. I, can't <laughs> I, I, I wonder why I never get anything. Because I go in in such a rage. Right. <laughs> and the casting directors are young enough to be your grandchildren. <laughs> I know. But you shouldn't have to. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> no. <laughs> don't you know what I do by now? And if no. you don't, I don't want to work for you. <laughs> and you have That's to audition way making as well, feel did you? Oh, I, yeah, but, but like, like Mary Louise, I, uh, I don't get things that I auditioned for. I mean, if I, if I, I got offered Annie, and, I, and it, it's a totally different process than acting, I believe. It goes I, against every oh yeah. principle of acting. It, does. it really does. It and does. And, the and specifically, acting. the theater's a little bit better because at least you, they usually give you a little bit more time to work on the audition, and they give you more time in the room. But if you ever have to audition for a television pilot <laughs> or something like that, it is, um, the guys that do the best and the women that do the best to me are stand-up comics mm -hmm. because they can go into a room and work the room for their five, six, seven minutes with a, this vessel of material that they have, <laughs> and that's what gets you the job. Mm -hmm. um, it is a, a very foreign process. I, I think it is a process still that needs to be, um, a, they need to find a better way. I really believe it. It needs I don't to be abolished is what it Yes, means. absolutely. And we're always talking about... Well, how about do you do that, though? When you say it needs to be yeah. abolished, how, do, how does it one know? We should have an Actors Bill of Rights. <laughs> but we don't. <laughs> Would you have a song prepared or a speech prepared? Marion, for example, and you, you go... No, I am a stand-up comic. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel I should immediately put these people at ease, and I go through my act, but they don't laugh. <laughs> they judge. I, I feel differently than, than most of the uh, actors and actresses because 
I feel if I don't do it, I'll just keep doing the same part over and over, and that people won't think I can do something else, and then I won't think I can do something else. And so, in a perverse way, I welcome it. I think if I came in and talked to someone, I'd never get anything. But if I could show them something else, I might. And that, if it's a good audition in a sense, the same people that are judging me may do something else. Mm. Now, over the course of this last hundred years, that's happened sometimes. They'll remember, or the man who checked your name in is now the greatest director. Or <laughs> so I try always to turn it into the opening night, so to speak. How do you do that, though? How do you well, prepare for Well, it's the very thing that Mary Louise mentioned. I mean, how you dress and how you make up and how you go to this audition and how much do you want it. I, s I won't audition for something I didn't want to do. Oh. But I... I'm, um, I don't want to use the word that keeps coming into my head, but I'm, I'm so oh, greedy to work, so anxious to be an actress, and I don't know any other way, except, now, back to this interesting concept of abolishing auditions, if the people who judge us and audition us would just go to the theater more. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's also what, that is true, we all have myriad tons of videotape on us, you know, why will... I don't Why think do they look at it, darling. I think they I skip right don't. by. <laughs> right. I think you yeah. do this That's thing. That's what about it. I mean, you know. <laughs> so, but until uh, you I get to that stage where you have all of this... It's meaningless. It doesn't but, matter. They don't care. But I once said to someone, I think it's so amazing that they sit through these hours of these tapes. And the other actress said to me, do you think they look at them? <laughs> <laughs> I think anything that brings you in touch with another member of the theater family is helpful. I, 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 I don't say that it's wrong to hate it, but I think you've got to try to do it. That's because oh, yeah, you're sure. you, Marion. You're just a very <laughs> special person. Would you, would you audition against type, for instance? Any yeah. Yeah. I'll do anything, if I think the play is interesting, mm -hmm. and that they yeah. might might think of me. So you would it. say it's for a younger person or an older oh, person. Absolutely. You, you just go, say I'm going to go. Gonna go. Maybe they'll see something in me. Yes. Absolutely. And especially during these progressive times of multiculturalism, <coughs> uh, non-traditional casting, colorblind casting, mm -hmm. inclusion in the theater. I'm constantly out there auditioning against type. And once in a while, someone will take a chance mm -hmm. and cast me as Willie Loman right. Right. or cast mm -hmm. me as Vladimir in Waiting for Godot mm -hmm. or something like that. And those are the most satisfying experiences of them all when you know that everyone has gone <coughs> out on a limb or as close to the edge as they can and then come back with this absolutely satisfying experience to which no one has taken any exception. Mm -hmm. Some right. of you have played living people as well as characters or fictional characters. How do you prepare to play for a person who actually existed? Well, I think, first of all, it's the script. How much of the real life did the playwright choose? I know that actors are always asked if they do research. And um, Garson Kanan used to say, write first, do the research later. In other <laughs> words, do the thing that you have and then see if it's it fits into the, the facts. 
And I think that it's wonderful to, uh, I, I'm trying to think of things I've done. I played, of all people, Alice B. Toklas, who's a tiny, tiny person with a wonderful mustache. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought that there was a mistake that they meant for me to play Gertrude Stein. <laughs> well, I, I had this other enchanting part to play. But I'd all my life read Stein, mm -hmm. and all my life seen these photographs. So I didn't do anything else. I taught the company, the other person, only two of us, of the whole history of the times. I think that uh, to do a real person on film is scarier. Mm -hmm. In the theatre, I think you could do any character. We could all do anything now, and you'd believe us. But you can't do that on film. And I never really had to do an important person on film. Oh, yes, I did Eleanor Roosevelt. Then they made me a, a wonderful thing for my teeth. Mm. And when the shoot was over, this was with Gary Sinese and, and Truman, and when the shoot was over, I asked if I could have this wonderful thing, because <laughs> and they wouldn't let me have it. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I wake up at night and think, what are they doing with us? <laughs> I could have done it without the key. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna how have you, let's try, how have you changed over the years as a performer, Len? Well, I've gotten older. Right. <laughs> Are you more, say, economical? Are you... I don't know. I really don't... I guess it's tough for, for one to, uh, to make that... to answer that question about oneself. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to think that, uh, that yes, I am more economical, that, uh, that I, I truly understand that less is more. Um, but an awful lot of that has to do with the material that you're dealing with. Um, if you're playing, you know, a character like, I did a one-man show called Papa about Hemingway, um, in which the fourth wall was down, um, and you did, I did the whole thing right at the audience. They were, in mm -hmm. fact, um, the conceit was they had been invited to, into his home in, in Cuba. And so the whole, that whole dynamic was uh, was one of, of addressing an audience and involving them somehow. And then as you got into the dramatic part of the, of the evening, as it were, takes place during a day, um, you kind of forgot about them altogether and, and it didn't matter that they were out there. Whereas the role I'm playing now is one of uh, a man coming in who is very specifically uh, in a position to come into a room and uh, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Terrorize. Well, terrorize. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was going to sort of throw terrorize. It out. <laughs> uh, he, you know, he has a particular attitude. He's somebody who's who is, uh, if you will, of the uh, of the upper middle class, and he walks into a room, and these guys are peons as far as he's concerned. Um, and so you, you walk into, I walk into that room and 
less is more in that situation. The, the less I do, the more points I score. Hmm. Um, and just in terms of the material. Whereas with the Papa thing, it's the other way around, in my opinion. As a musical performer, I mm. definitely have evolved because the body doesn't do as much or as well as it used to, so I've become a more economical dancer. I don't think I've become any less impressive as a dancer, but certainly more economical. And that happened after I was injured the first time. Then I realized, oh, I don't have to slam myself into the floor <laughs> in order to get that effect. As I've grown older, I've become a better singer. So I now luxuriate more mm. in singing. And as an actor, I'm no, I'm no longer desperate for attention. I'm now desperate to give attention mm. to someone else. <laughs> mm. Mm. Do you prefer, Mary Louise, to play um, contemporary people or classical plays, old-fashioned? I just like doing new plays, I think, yeah. the most. I just love getting a script that just has never been done before. Um, it's just the most exciting thing to me in the world. And I've done classical parts, and I've, you know, um, and some I've, I've enjoyed a lot. And some, I, ha I don't really like speaking in verse at all. It makes <laughs> me feel like I'm in jail. I really <laughs> hate it. Um, and I, I really admire people who do it well, but I don't think that I do. Um, I think it just, it doesn't really matter to me. I just like, I, I love a new play and I love, I just love new writing, you know, and um, I just, that's, that's what excites me the most. Mary mentioned learning how to read a play. Do you, how do you read a play? Do you read it differently than I do? I don't know. I mean, what does an actor do when, when you say you read a play? Well, what, what I meant was to be able to visualize I don't know, as I think when you read a novel, the novelist explains and shows you and paints the picture, and in a play you uh, invent the environment. And if you're reading a classic play, a Shakespeare play, it's all in the words, it's only in the words. Uh, Mary Louise and I will, will do um, some classics for you the next time we're back. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> because she'd be so wonderful. She's Shakespeare's young woman. Could do How would we cast her? Ophelia? Any voices. Anything she could do. <laughs> a little old for me. But I think that... Um, <laughs> oh, you know. I'm old as When I say about no. l learning to read a play is not just following the part mm -hmm. that you mm -hmm. think you might play and trying to understand all the relationships and having a sense of what it is before you go to rehearsal. N not deciding, but a sense of the, of the whole play. Like, so that what the director says you're open to. But the thing I thought about, about Mary Louise and how fortunate she's been, and lately, how fortunate I've been, there's n nothing in the world as wonderful as having the playwright at the rehearsal. Oh, mm. I mean, yeah, can you imagine awesome. being in a Chekhov play right. and it's, Chekhov it's coming awesome. in? <laughs> well, she has had wonderful writers, and, and so have I. And you talk about opening night nerves. I think the most challenging thing of all is that day the author comes when you've put the script down at last and show him or her what you're going to do. 
And what if it's not what they saw? <laughs> I mean, what if you disappoint? You but can't if they help like thinking what you're that. doing, there's nothing and, more. Oh, really? There's nothing more. Oh, my God. It's yeah. just like... It's better than amazing. any review, better <laughs> oh, than any audience. It's, so, everything. Yeah. Yeah. it's everything. It's everything. Oh. Don't you find, though, that the really wonderful playwrights are so humble? I, I remember Very. when we did... Um, um, all my sons and Arthur Miller came. Jack O'Brien directed mm -hmm. it actually for mm -hmm. public television, and Arthur Miller came. I couldn't even speak to him. I was in <laughs> such awe. And, but he came up, and his his attitude was, "What can I do to help?" I know. Here I am. Do you have any mm -hmm. questions? He wasn't there to protect his play because mm -hmm. he knew it was good. <laughs> he was there to be of of service. And yes. and and uh, Edward Albee, when, when he came in and sat in, I, I was like this. Mm -hmm. He's such a benign presence. I mean, mm. he, w he comes up and says, I, I think that's an and, not a but, <laughs> or whatever. <I> mean, <laughs> he, he comes in and listens for Is his it, words. Isn't there an ellipse there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or, a, or as in the case with Terrence McNally, but he will say, I don't write ellipses. Don't play them. Oh, <laughs> how interesting. That's interesting. And this is in a musical comedy. Yeah. Go, go, <laughs> go, go, go. Or Neil Simon. Yeah, Neil Simon just sang to, uh, to uh, Henry Winkler in our play. He said, he, Henry comes in and he says, um, I never, let me get it right. Henry was saying, uh, well, I don't know. He said, I don't, I don't do this. For, I never come to Paris. And uh, the note after the run-through was, um, Henry, it's, I never come into Paris. Wow. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a huge difference. Of course it is. <laughs> right, 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 right. Of course right. it is. Yep. And it's funny how into. you can even learn a line wrong. You see it, yeah. you study it, and you don't get it right. It's amazing. And when you've been playing for a while, too, I'm noticing mm. just now that, you know, I'm suddenly questioning is that it? Is, is this the right? And then you have to go back to you the script. You have to look at the script. Absolutely. Constantly. All the time that I did Waiting for God, every day yeah. I read it, the yes. text. Yes. Every mm. day. Yeah. I was so frightened <laughs> that I was going to get caught in one of those endless mm. circles mm -hmm. and never be, escape. So you, you, you keep it close to your heart. And then I found, talking about reading a, a play, I found shockingly, that there's some actors, forget about reading the play, there's some actors who can't read simply. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that they are illiterate. No, no, no. But when it comes to, man mm -hmm. to managing the language, there's a difficulty. You mean out, mm -hmm. they can't read cold? Or yeah. Really? Can't read cold, don't, cannot, do, do not master the language unless they're in a situation where they must commit to memory mm -hmm. text. Oh, uh -huh. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I found that very simple. Well, these are that the kind of things, uh, Pia, that can be learned, taught. These things are not hard to learn. But it's funny, if, if a young actor has a lot of success, it's hard to go back. Yeah. And they get on in a certain way without that facility and uh, feel they don't, don't need it. I wanted to say something about Michael Learned, this wonderful actress. When we were doing Three Tall Women, there were some long, uh, Edward Albee sometimes calls his long speeches arias, which I would never do, but since he does, it's a wonderful word. So the character I played had indeed a long aria. And for some reason, in a perfectly uh, average, regular, somehow, performance, nothing different, uh, uh, I got mixed up. But I knew the story I had to tell. 
And so I told it in paragraphs that were out of order. And it was so thrilling because she never showed me that she knew it was out of order. She was that person I was, had always told the story to. And it allowed me to tell it, to take my time, to figure out which paragraph. It was the most amazing mm -hmm. reliance on another person. And I wanted to say that all the time we were talking about going up or forgetting. Mary Louise chose to tell us about a time when she was on her own. She was not with another actor. And I, someone else did too, or when you, were, you had just the camera to turn to. Mm -hmm. But <coughs> I had a person. And the person was not Michael. She was the character. So it's, it combines everything we're talking about. And when I told you before that I thought it was sort of exciting when something like that happens, it was like flying. <laughs> Wasn't it, darling? Do you remember that? Listening day? to you was because you were so. We got it you all. You were always there, and you, you. I never. I was never afraid for you that you were going to not find your way back. But it was <laughs> through another huh. actor. But Instead so of panicking, I just kept telling her the story, and and when it ended, the whole story had been told. It never happened again, and I don't know why it happened, but it was <laughs> a, a wonderful day. You were mentioning technique. Uh, today, actors in New York are all mic'd, so they don't have to learn vocal projection even when they're mm -hmm. speaking. Intercostal diaphragmatic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's one thing for musicals, okay, but now people are mic'd constantly. Well, I have no. It's, I, I'm, I'm laughing inside because when I was in rehearsal for Annie, get your gun. There's a song in the show that's this lullaby tune that that Annie sings, um, which is this really sweet, you know. Sweet, um, behind the hill there's a busy little sill. And I thought, how did Ethel Merman do this? <laughs> <laughs> and pull off this, because we know the voice yes, the is voice. there and you're hitting the back row. And I thought, how did they get that same sensation that they want the audience to feel. It's supposed to be a really tender lullaby moment of singing kids to sleep when she's behind mm -hmm. my <laughs> It's this whole <laughs> I thought, I, thought it, I guess they it was a totally different take on it and said so, yes. Uh, thank thank we the heard Lord for her. microphone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I yes. think I think Mike Mike's uh, I'm a fan of them actually. Mm -hmm. Um because, but I also think they have actually changed the style of acting in the theater. It's much more natural, and, and, and in a way, I, I rather like that. I mean, you remember from the Stratford days, it was all about costumes mm -hmm. and throwing your voice and all of that, which is fine. But the style of acting, I think because of television and, and uh, f maybe film, although film has been around forever, but even film acting has changed. If you look back at some of the old 30s movies, um, everybody spoke with a mid-Atlantic accent, you know, and there was, it was much more stylized. And I think microphones have sort of changed um, the style of theater acting, which I find quite interesting. As I like think you can, you, can get a lot, you can still give a lot of, uh, it gives you the luxury of nuance. Yes, that exactly. You, you know, and uh, not to say, by the way, because uh, I still believe, even if you have this on, you have got to hit the back row. Yes. It has yeah. got to, you've still mm -hmm. got to learn to use your voice correctly. But it gives you moments where you can really depend, and specifically if you're ailing, like I, I, this past weekend, I had a horrible cold and I had to get through four shows. And, um, 
And I said, look, I don't know how much power I have today. And the, the, um, the, the mixer at the mic board turned me up. So it allowed me to get through because I wouldn't have been able to do it if there were no mics. We, you know, it, it, I don't know that actors need body mics if they're not in a musical, but um, I think sometimes a little amplification. I know a lot of people are against it because they feel that the audience can't tell where the voice is coming from. Uh, I mean, if we, we have right. these discussions a lot, but um, I don't know. I mean, you, if you're projecting, you're also, it can be false. If you're in a huge, like we're in the Virginia Theater, which is a big theater, um, and you, if you're if you're having to How do you too much, it's, it falsifies it a little too. Well, I mean, where, where it depends, um, I don't like them. I mean, they're absolutely necessary in a musical because how this all started was it started to, they started to mic the orchestra. So they said, well. Well, they weren't necessary 25 years ago in a musical. No, because the orchestras were smaller, for one thing, and uh, composers now say, well, come on, give me, you know, I want more, I want a bigger orchestra. I want and I want to be able to hear this, and so they started, I mean, they have, they can, they can electronically amplify any instrument in the world, can be plugged into something and, and made to be <laughs> as loud as you want to throw the gain up. Um, so by definition, we had to, uh, I mean, just to protect us, we had, we couldn't be heard, so we had to mic, uh, mic people in the musical theater. Um, I think we have uh, we have some enhancement mics that you were just talking yeah. about in our in our theater, uh, but we're in probably the best legitimate, as opposed to musical house, uh, in this city, in my opinion. The Music Box Theater is the perfect legitimate theater in this city, and it's a thousand and ten seats, and it's just wonderful. And, uh, you, you know, the only amplification, the thing that bothers me about it is that if, if they do have those things, whenever you walk by, you can hear your feet That's walking, no. you know, no. I mean, it's just bizarre. Um, so, generally, I'm against them in, in, in a smaller house. I don't think you need to. Thank you so much. This has been very educational. I've learned a yeah. lot. I've enjoyed meeting you all. Thank you so much. And that brings us to the end of our seminar on the performing arts. Thank you.